0: Good morning. morning. My name is Daniel. I'm one of the members at Restoration Church. Um, It's my joy to be able to preach to you one of my favorite passages in the entire Bible this morning. Um, So it's Haggai chapter 2, verses 10 through 19. Um, Let me pray for us one more time, and then we'll dive in. Dear Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for your word through the prophet Haggai. Uh, It's a passage that we sometimes neglect, and I pray that you would just speak to it uh, to us powerfully with it. I pray that you would speak your words through me It would be not my words but your words this morning. In Jesus name. Amen <clears throat> Imagine that you're apartment hunting in DC. This is a familiar experience for many of us. I think uh, You found an apartment online. It looks pretty nice. You're gonna go check it out in person The leasing agent comes they, they take you in they show you the kitchen And the kitchen looks just like the photos online. It's gorgeous. Nice new appliances except right where the photo online ended, you look off to the side of that and there's a big rotting pile of garbage. And the leasing agent says, you know, don't look over there. Just look at these nice new appliances. Aren't they nice? And then kind of quickly ushers you into the living room. In the middle of the living room, there's a dead raccoon on the floor. And the leasing agent says, oh, don't worry about that. We're going to put a rug over top of that. And so then, leasing agent takes you into the bedroom. And in the bedroom, there's a bunch of large containers labeled warning, biohazard. And there's something leaking out of them. You would not rent that apartment. Like, you would definitely go find something else. Haggai's message for us this morning is that God is willing to rent that apartment for our benefit. Haggai wants us to see that our sin is filth and death and contagion. But God willingly came into the world to live among us for our spiritual blessing so that he could clean up that filth and make us holy. Haggai is calling the people of Israel in his day to consider how God blesses unclean, defiled people. So let me put it in context for us, because the context is really crucial to understanding this. At Restoration Church, we've just finished up a series in Zechariah, Haggai's ministry takes place directly before Zechariah chronologically. They were living at the same time, preaching to the same people. If you've been with us for the Zechariah series, you've probably heard Nathan say a whole bunch of times, Zechariah is a post-exilic minor prophet. Post-exilic means he's preaching after the people have returned from the exile to Babylon, and he's a minor prophet, and then his book is on the shorter end. Haggai is actually the second shortest book in the Old Testament. Haggai is also a post-exilic minor prophet. Before Zechariah encourages the people as they rebuild the temple, Haggai gets them started on the work of rebuilding the temple. Our passage this morning takes place on the last day of Haggai's recorded ministry. We have no idea what Haggai did after this and then the next message at the end of the book. This is approximately one month after the start of Zechariah's recorded ministry. At this point in Haggai's ministry, the temple rebuilding has been underway for a few months and like Zechariah, Haggai is encouraging the people to persevere in the work. Now the temple is of central importance to Haggai because it's where God comes to be with his people. It was the site of the presence of God with his people and the site where the people went to worship God. When the people returned from the exile, they initially started to rebuild the temple, but they encountered opposition and stopped for 16 years. Listen to what god said about this temple when it was first being built not the one they're rebuilding But the one that solomon built second chronicles chapter 7 verses 15 and 16 Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayer that is made in this place For now I have chosen and consecrated this house that my name may be there forever My eyes and my heart will be there for all time by not rebuilding the temple the people were essentially saying to God, your presence? Now we're good. Worship? Prayer? Your eyes open and your ears attentive to us? Your heart with us? No, 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 I'm going to worry about myself right now. Maybe later once my house is rebuilt, then I'll rebuild your house. God said that his name is with the temple forever. As the temple is sitting unbuilt, the name of the Lord is lying among the rubble. And the people think that they've got something better to do with their time. So that's why Haggai has come. Haggai is coming to correct that attitude and then to walk the people through the process of repentance as they turn away from their sins and turn back to God and embark on the lengthy process of rebuilding the temple. In the book of Haggai, in chapter 1, that's exactly what happens. Haggai comes, he calls the people to repent, to say, Come, start building the temple, and they do it. They start building the temple. In Haggai chapter 2, verses 1 through 9, they're one month into the process of rebuilding. And Haggai comes again to remind the people that it's not ultimately them doing the work, it's God doing the work, and then he gives them a glimpse of what God's future glory through that temple will be. Then another two months pass after that, and we get to our passage this morning. Haggai has a conversation with the priests where he encourages the people to consider God's blessing despite their uncleanness, as we're going to see. And then finally, later that same day, in verses 20 through 23, Haggai's recorded ministry ends right as Zechariah's is picking up with a message that's really on the theme of Zechariah, pointing people to hope in the coming Messiah. And that's the entire book of Haggai. It's two chapters, but it's wonderful and awesome. So let's dive into Haggai 2, verses 10 through 19. <coughs> Haggai, again, is going to call the people to consider how God blesses unclean people. So what we're going to do this morning is we're going to focus on that one idea, and we're going to walk through the passage and draw it out. Let me read Haggai 2, 10 and 11. On the 24th day of the ninth month, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet. Thus says the Lord of hosts, ask the priests about the law. So this takes place on December 18th. 520 bc you can see from the calendar evidence there you cross-reference that to babylonian calendars and you You know look in your study bible is how I got it. I didn't do the cross-referencing to babylonian calendars. That's how they got it Um, we're picking up with Haggai about four months after his first recorded prophecy And three months after the resumption of the building of the temple Pay attention here in verse 10 again, the word of the lord came by Haggai. This is the common formula that he introduces all of his messages with. Haggai is not speaking from his own mind. He's not saying what he thinks is true. He is speaking God's words to the people. He's instructed to ask the priests about the law, or we might say for a ruling about the law. So note the context of this conversation. This is a conversation about God's word. Haggai is speaking God's word, and it's God's word about God's word, about the law that the people already have in front of them. Haggai is not saying to the priests, What do you think? What is your opinion as religious leaders? What are the people saying? He's saying, What did God say? Now, Haggai does have an authoritative word from God himself, but he still bases what he's saying on the written word, God's law. He's about to call the people to consider, but not to idle speculation or mere introspection, but to meditate deeply on what God has said in his word and apply it to their lives. So what does he ask verse 12 if someone carries holy meat in the fold of his garment and touches with his fold bread or stew or wine or oil or any kind of food does it become holy the priest answered and said no holiness is to be set apart from sin and devoted to God God is holy in that he is both set apart from sin and morally excellent But the Bible also refers to certain people or things as holy. For example, when Moses comes before the burning bush, God has him take off his sandals because he's standing on holy ground. This isn't because that particular area of ground had anything special in and of itself. It's because the presence of God was in the bush. And Moses has to treat the presence of God with the respect that it deserves. The priests that Haggai is talking to are often referred to as holy. They are set aside for the service of God. And the temple is holy the temple is set apart for the worship of god What we're talking about here is holy meat This was the meat from various sacrifices that people would perform some of the sacrifice would be burned And the portion that wasn't burned would be set aside for the priests to eat Only the priests could eat it and they had to eat it in a designated set aside place because the holy is to be set apart So the answer the priests give to Haggai's question is No Holiness does not spread if i'm carrying a piece of holy meat in the fold of my robe here And it's set apart for the lord and I touch a piece of food with it. That food does not become holy So holiness doesn't spread now holiness is often contrasted in scripture with uncleanness. In fact leviticus ten ten Specifically tasks the priests with differentiating between the holy and the unclean, which is what they are doing right now So what about uncleanness does it spread? verse 13 Then Haggai said, if someone who is unclean by contact with a dead body touches any of these, does it become unclean? The priest answered and said, it does become unclean. Now, uncleanness may be not the most familiar image to us today, but it's one of the images that the Bible uses for sin. It's a ritual impurity or defilement. There's a variety of ways by which a person or thing can become unclean. Usually this revolves around disease or the risk of disease And people or things who are unclean are to be cut off from god and from his people And can't enter the temple for worship or sacrifice Now being unclean does not mean that someone has literally sinned Uncasional uncleanness happens during life. Sometimes it means you just got sick And the purpose of these rules is not to judge or ostracize someone because of their health It's to help god's people understand sin By quarantining the sick, ritual purity laws do several things. First, they protect the health of God's people. Someone with a highly contagious, infectious skin disease isn't allowed to come into the temple to worship and potentially transmit it to others. This is a time long before modern medicine. Dead bodies, like we're talking about in this passage, someone is unclean by contact with a dead body, should be avoided, not touched, because of the potential for disease transmission. And if someone has touched a dead body they should stay separate from others for a time to avoid the spread of sickness. This is God's care for the physical needs of his people. But more importantly, it pictures the contagiousness of sin and the set-apartness of God and his people. Something that is impure should not be tolerated in the presence of God. The image of dangerous, contagious disease is used to point us to the greater danger of sin. Just like a sickness, sin corrupts, and it spreads. We have an expression in English that captures this exact idea. We talk about avoiding things like the plague, because it's contagious, and it's dangerous, and it destroys lives. Sin is something to be avoided like the plague. That's the image that's being evoked right here. So the answer to Haggai's question is, of course, uncleanness spreads by contact. That's the whole point of the image. So holiness does not spread by physical contact. Uncleanness does. We've had a wonderful, fun Bible trivia game, right? What on earth is Haggai's point? Verse 14. Then Haggai answered and said, So is it with this people and with this nation before me, declares the Lord. And so with every work of their hands and what they offer there is unclean. The people are unclean. They are impure and defiled, unfit to enter the presence of God. Their sin spreads to all that it touches. Not some of the people, not just the really bad ones, the murderers, all that. All of the people. So it is with this people and with this nation before me. Haggai's been addressing the priest, but he's probably doing this in public. Uh, There's probably people gathered around watching Haggai's discussion with the priest. It's speculation, but it seems likely. Imagine someone coming up front during a worship service and Asking say pastor nathan questions about the bible and they say hey does holiness spread by touch and he says no and they say What about uncleanness? He says yeah, yeah that does and then they turn towards the congregation. They go you're all unclean How would you feel? Would that be the encouraging word from a prophet that you need to keep going in the early stages of a large construction project? I wouldn't find it encouraging But hackai doesn't stop with you're all unclean He says so with every work of their hands Uncleanness is contagious, so everything they do is unclean. The most important thing they're doing right now is building the temple, which is a problem, because the key thing about uncleanness is that it's to be set apart from the holy. And the temple is supposed to be holy. The uncleanness is supposed to be kept out of the temple. So how are unclean people going to build a temple for the holy God? And then, as if that wasn't a big enough problem, Haggai's not done. He says... And what they offer there is unclean. So their very offerings, their worship to God is unclean. It's reminiscent of what the earlier prophet Amos said in Amos chapter five, verses 21 and 22. God says, I hate, I despise your feasts and I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me your burnt offerings and your grain offerings, I will not accept them. And the peace offerings of your fattened animals, I will not look upon them. This is talking about people who are going through their religious observances. They're giving all the appropriate sacrifices. In modern times, we might say that they go to church every week. They go to community group during the week. They read their Bibles. They pray every day. And God says, no, stop it. I hate you doing your religious deeds. You are unclean and unfit to come in and worship me. But why are the people unclean? Haggai 1-2, right at the beginning of Haggai's ministry, I think makes that clear. Thus says the Lord of hosts, These people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. They've been in the land for 16 years, and God's temple isn't rebuilt. They're unclean because of their indifference to God. They've got better things to do. They've got their own houses to build. The surrounding people, they didn't like the building, and so they wrote them a really nasty letter. It's hard times economically. So they say, we'll get to it later, God. We don't need your presence among us. We don't need to worship you or give you the glory you deserve just yet. We can start rebuilding the temple later. We're going to do it, just not yet. God says, you are unclean. Haggai's message is to a particular people in a particular time, but it is applicable to us too. Apart from Christ, we are unclean. If you don't believe me, go home and read Romans 1 through 3 this afternoon. Paul lays out a mind-blowingly incredible case for this. We don't even typically live up to our own standards of morality, let alone God's. It doesn't take much looking at our world to see the ways that sin has twisted everyone and everything. And our sin is contagious. It affects not just us, but everything we touch. How familiar do the actions of the people in Haggai's day feel? We say things like, Oh, I'll love my neighbor tomorrow. I'm tired right now. Yeah, I I know prayer is important. I'm just so busy. When do I have time to pray? Yeah, that sin that I keep coming back to, I, I I know I shouldn't do it but it's not really that big a deal, right? Besides, I'm just going through a rough time right now. I deserve to indulge a little bit. In and of ourselves, all we have to offer to God is our defilement. So why would Haggai say this to people building a temple? If I were Zerubbabel, the governor, I'd say, hold up, Haggai, what are you doing? See, I'm trying to organize this building project here. I need people to contribute their resources and their labor so that it'll get done. And you're telling them that everything they're doing is unfit for worship to God? Imagine you were at a church that was doing a fund drive to raise money, right? They're going to buy a building, for example. And then they lead off their fundraising appeal with, well, you know, land in D.C. is really expensive, so we're not going to be able to afford a building. But even if by some miracle we do, God's not going to be honored by our worship there anyways. Would you donate to that? I wouldn't donate to that. Haggai's message is not a marketing pitch to get people fired up about what they can do. It's a sober reminder of human failings so that they'll get excited about what God is about to do. Because while we should spend time thinking about uncleanness, Haggai is driving to a more powerful point, God's blessing. He wants us to consider our uncleanness and he wants us to consider God's blessing in the context of that uncleanness. That way... When the temple is built, the people won't sit back and pat themselves on the back and talk about what a great temple it is that they've built. If they properly understood their role and God's role in the building process, they'll stand back and say, Wow, isn't God incredible that he could build that using people like us? That's why Haggai is calling the people to consider. So let's keep moving through our text and see that. Verse 15. Now then. Consider from this day onward, before stone was placed upon stone in the temple of the Lord. So let's pause on this word consider here. The word consider is one of the key words used in the book of Haggai. It's used five times across just two chapters. In chapter one, Haggai tells the people twice to consider your ways, once in verse five and again in chapter one, verse seven. They've said, The time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. And Haggai's question and response is, Really? Has it not? think about what you're doing. In our passage, she now returns to this call to consider. We see it here in verse 15 for the first time, consider from this day onward. And then again in verse 18, consider from this day onward. And then again at the end of verse 18, since the day that the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid, consider. Haggai's repeated point to the people of Israel is that they should stop and consider. They should consider their actions, they should consider their circumstances, and they should consider what God is doing. The Hebrew word translated here as consider could literally be rendered as set your heart upon. One author translates it as take to heart. I personally have always been partial to the NIV's translation, probably because it's the first one that I read this passage in. Um, They have give careful thought. So we could probably summarize this idea here with let your thoughts dwell on it. What should they consider? Verse 15. Now then consider from this day onward before stone was placed upon stone in the temple of the Lord. How did you fare? When one came to a heap of 20 measures, there were but 10. When one came to the wine vat to draw 50 measures, there were but 20. I struck you and all the products of your toil with blight and with mildew and with hail. Yet you did not turn to me declares the lord they should consider three things first they should consider their circumstances before they started building the temple they went to the the grain stores where they had all the grain and they had an idea of how much grain it was they wanted and there wasn't that much there they went into the wine stores to get some wine same thing their crops experienced all kinds of bad weather they were experiencing god's curse god was working through their circumstances to get their attention and call them back to him Now let's pause for a moment as a bit of an aside and caution. This does not mean that every time something bad happens, that it's God's curse. We see tons of examples in scripture where someone suffers precisely because they're doing good. Job is singled out for suffering because of his righteousness. Jesus sees a blind man and his disciples say, was it this man who sinned or his parents that caused his blindness? Jesus says, it was not this man that sinned or his parents, but that the works of god might be displayed in him and most significantly jesus himself willingly suffered and died not because he had done anything wrong but because we had all done something wrong but in this particular case the purpose of their suffering was because they had sinned it was to point them back to god god is using their suffering to call their attention to their sin and that's why Haggai's calling them to consider He's not saying that suffering equals sin like job's friends or jesus disciples did He is saying that suffering can be an occasion to stop and consider to give careful thought In the israelites case this consideration should have led them to see their sin and then turn back to god And when it didn't god sent a prophet to them to urge them to beg them to consider The second thing they should consider, the first thing is their circumstances. The second thing they should consider is their ways, what they're doing. Verse 17 says, you did not turn to me. This is the central message of Haggai chapter 1. The people were working on their own houses and they were neglecting God's house. The ways in which we live for ourselves instead of God are not always obvious. The devil loves churchgoers who reassure themselves that everything's fine by a few outward religious deeds and then live lives in opposition to god sin can be subtle and creep in unexpectedly and that's one reason why we need to stop and consider and we want to invite others into our lives to consider with us to help us with our blind spots just like haggai is showing the people where they're missing god's call they should consider their circumstances they should consider their ways thirdly they should consider their uncleanness Their ways caused separation from god. We've just seen this in verse 14 The people were living for themselves and they were not seeking after god and that made them unclean In ezra chapter 9 ezra has just returned to the promised land Leading back a group of exiles. It's probably an exciting time for them. Lots of rejoicing We're coming back to the promised land our 70-year exile is over And they get back and some of the leaders come to ezra and they tell him that the people have fallen right back into the same sin problems that got them exiled in the first place. Ezra's response to this is recorded in Ezra chapter 9. I'm going to read verses 3 and 4. As soon as I heard this, I tore my garment and my cloak and pulled a hair from my head and beard and sat down appalled. Then all who trembled at the words of the God of Israel because of the faithlessness of the returned exiles gathered around me while I set sat appalled until the evening sacrifice. He was grieved by sin, and then he sat on the ground being appalled for the rest of the day, considering the sin of the people. He then goes on to pray a beautiful prayer of repentance. We don't have time for that, but we have time for repentance. We don't have time for Ezra's prayer of repentance. Um, Some of us, like me, are so quick to hurry past sin. The idea of spending even a minute appalled at our own sin is so foreign to me. We know that God's going to forgive us, right? So what's the point in dwelling on it? The point is exactly what Haggai's point to the people here in chapter 2 is. We consider our unrighteousness in order to be more impressed with God's holiness. When we spend time meditating on our sin, on the fallenness of our very nature, we appreciate more and more the goodness of God that he would reveal himself to us. That he would send people into our lives to speak the gospel to people like us. That he would come into this very world, himself to die for people like us. Paul says in Romans that most people wouldn't even die for a really good person. But God came and died to save unclean sinners. The more deeply we consider our own sin, the more important we see how wondrous that truth is. And, importantly, when we spend time considering our own sin, we give the glory for the good things that happen in our lives to God rather than taking it for ourselves. Just like how the people shouldn't take glory for the temple. Ephesians 2.10 says God prepared our good works beforehand. We consider our sin so that we know that any good that comes from us has its ultimate source in God. Some of us, however, do spend too much time considering our uncleanness. Perhaps you've done something or something was done to you that makes you feel unclean and it consumes you. Maybe you're already acutely aware that you're unclean. And feel as though God could never forgive whatever it is that you've done Maybe you constantly replay scenes of past failures in your head. Maybe you feel like you're unworthy of God's grace If that's you Don't miss the goal of the considering that Haggai's pointing us to here This whole passage is driving us to verse 19. God is going to bless the unclean people Haggai does not say consider your uncleanness and then walk away sermon over No Haggai says, consider your uncleanness, and then he keeps going to God's blessing. Ezra doesn't just sit down appalled all day and then just stay there wallowing in despair. He gets up at the time of the evening sacrifice, and he prays for God's forgiveness. Both of these point us to something that's greater than our uncleanness. God's grace towards an unclean people. The point of our, considering our uncleanness is not to wallow in our despair. It's to point us to the God who can cleanse us from our uncleanness. It's to point us to the God who doesn't ask who's good enough to come in his presence because none of us are. None of us is good enough to come in God's presence. He graciously opens his arms and says, unclean people, come. The depth of our uncleanness points us to God's grace and we can see that super clearly at the end of this passage. Let's read the rest of it. Verse 18, Consider from this day onward, from the 24th day of the ninth month, since the the day that the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid, consider, is the seed yet in the barn? Indeed, the vine, the fig tree, the pomegranate, and the olive tree have yielded nothing. But from this day on, I will bless you. The people are again called to consider their circumstances. This time it's the circumstances since the day that the foundation of the Lord temple was laid. In verses uh, 15 and 16, he was saying, what were your circumstances before you started rebuilding the temple? Now it's the circumstances after they started rebuilding the temple. And they're kind of the same. Previously, God's judgment was on them for their sin. Three months ago, they repented. They turned back to God. They started building the temple. But things did not instantly get better. The barns are empty. The seed's been sown in the ground, and next year's harvest has not yet sprouted. The fruit plants have not yielded their fruit. Haggai again calls their attention to their circumstances, this time so that they're going to consider one more thing, God's blessing. The end of verse 19, from this day on, I will bless you. Now, in a first sense, this blessing is about physical provision. It's contrasted with blight and mildew and hail. So presumably, one aspect of this blessing is that the blight, the mildew, and the hail are going to stop. The vine, the fig tree, the pomegranate, and the olive tree are going to yield something, in abundance. God draws their attention to their present circumstances of want So that they're going to notice the blessing when it comes He draws their attention to their spiritual condition So they won't miss that it's god's blessing They're not going to take credit for the bountiful harvest they get because it's god giving it to them But the outward curse Just like the outward curse was intended to point the people to their spiritual situation These outward blessings are intended to point the people to their spiritual reality God is with them Back in chapter 1, as soon as the people listen to God, before they've even started building the temple, God says, I am with you. In chapter 2, as Haggai's encouraging the people in the work, he repeats it again. God is with his people. The presence of God is the key aspect of the importance of the temple, but they don't have to wait until the temple's rebuilt to get it. God is with them the moment they turn back to him. God is with them before their physical situation turns around. And God is with them despite their uncleanness. And that's the key thing that Haggai doesn't want them or us to miss. These blessings are not because the people are good, because they did a good thing by repenting. These people are unclean. These blessings are not because they've done the hard work and they've rebuilt the temple. They're three months into the five year project, they've barely started. These blessings are because of God's goodness and his grace to his people. So the end result is that the people don't get the glory. God gets the glory. Haggai calls attention to the immediate circumstances to contrast with the coming circumstances of blessing so that when the blessing does come, the people won't miss it. So how did the blessing come? Or you might ask, how could the blessing possibly come? If God is holy and the people are unclean, and holiness and uncleanness are to be set apart from each other, how are an unclean people going to build a temple for a holy God? If uncleanness spreads, and holiness does not, then how can the people ever do anything about their uncleanness? How can we ever do anything about our uncleanness? The answer is that we cannot. But, there is a holiness better than the holiness of everything that people knew in Haggai's day. Turn with me over to Mark chapter 1. Mark is after Matthew. All right. Verse 40. Let look at verse 40 here. And a leper came to him, that's Jesus, imploring him and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Leprosy is an infectious skin disease It's one of the key things in the old testament that makes someone unclean This man, he's a leper. He is cut off from the people of god He is cut off from worship in the temple because of his uncleanness And he comes to jesus and he recognizes that jesus has the answer to this problem. He says if you will You can make me clean verse 41 moved with pity Jesus did what? Did he do what he normally does with his healing miracles? Did he just say, be well, and the man was well? No. What does he do? He stretches out his hand. He stretches out his hand towards the unclean man who is cut off from the people of God. This is an unclean man. His uncleanness spreads. Anyone who touches him will become unclean themselves. And what does Jesus do? He touches him. And he says, I will be clean. And immediately, the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. We couldn't do anything about our uncleanness. We were separated from God, and we couldn't get to him. So God came into the world. He came into our uncleanness in the person of Jesus Christ. We couldn't get into God's presence. He came into ours. And so he came to take our uncleanness. Our uncleanness does spread, And Jesus came and he said, give it to me. And he went to the cross and our uncleanness went on him on the cross and he was set apart from God. He cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then we get Jesus' holiness because Jesus' holiness is better than the holiness of the sacrificial system. Jesus' holiness is able to spread to his people. This means that we who are in Christ are ritually clean we are able to approach god but the best news is jesus didn't stay dead he rose again and he went into the presence of god he conquered the uncleanness and he perfectly holy came into the presence of god so as we just read at the start of our service we can now with confidence draw near to the throne of grace and that's not all god comes to be with us Scripture says our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. Ephesians, the author of Ephesians, Paul, says the church is being built together into a holy temple for God. The church is a temple, a holy, set-apart temple made from formerly unclean people who Jesus has made clean so that God can come and dwell with his people because the holiness and the uncleanness have to be set apart so God came and made us clean. This is available for everyone who repents, who turns from their sins, turns toward God, and believes in Jesus' atoning death and resurrection. If you've never done this before, if you want to talk more about it, come talk to me after the service. Come talk to anyone you've seen up here. Someone brought you here or invited you here. Consider talking to them. If you have done this before, consider it. Think about it. Think about what Jesus did for you. On that note, let's talk about a couple of points of application. Two points of application: one, consider; two, look for God's blessing. Consider. It can be hard to find time in our busy days to to stop and think. That's why at the end of almost every service, we take a moment of quiet reflection to stop and think. One minute in a week is probably not enough, in my opinion. Um, Look for times in your life that you can find a moment of solace to just stop. Consider. As you're considering, consider in light of the Bible. We should 100% use our God-given intellect and deeply consider spiritual matters. But if we use our intellect alone, we risk coming to conclusions that only reflect ourselves and not what's actually true about the world. God has given us revelation of himself and we should use it so that we can come to knowledge of the truth. This means that we need to read God's word regularly and meditate on it deeply. Considering community. When is speaking to the people, he's speaking to the full community. The community of people who are working together on the temple building project. Isn't it wonderful that unclean people made clean by Jesus can gather together? One of the things we can use that for is to consider together. One of the ways we do that at Restoration Church is in our community groups, which start back up this week. You can check in your app if you want to attend one. Think about who God has put in your life that you can consider spiritual matters alongside. What should you consider? You should consider your ways. You should take sin seriously. Understand it as an offense against God. You should consider your uncleanness apart from Christ. Not to wallow in it, not to be filled up with despair, but to see how God's glory is better than your uncleanness. The more we understand the depth of our sin, the more we appreciate our need for a Savior to bring God's presence to us. Thirdly, you should consider God's blessing. One author I read once said, we need to preach the gospel to ourselves daily. The gospel is not just for non-believers. It's not just the way that someone comes to know Jesus and then we go on living our lives. The gospel is for the everyday life of the believer and that means we need to consider it. We need to take time in our day to rehearse the gospel, to recite it to ourselves, to say, I'm a sinner, I am unclean. God made me, he made me for his good pleasure, he made me to worship him and I messed it up. I'm unclean, but God came into this world, came to my uncleanness and touched me and made me clean. Rehearse that with yourself. Consider it every day. Second point of application, look for God's blessing. You could even say consider God's blessing, but I just said that, so. (laughs) It's very easy to not give God the glory that he's due. How often do we pray for something and then forget all about it when God says yes? Maybe consider keeping track of your prayers so that you can look back and see evidence of God's grace in your life. And don't only pray prayers asking for things. These are good. God wants us to come to him with our requests. But if that becomes all of your prayer life, then we're missing opportunities to give God glory for his good gifts to us. What are ways that God has blessed you? Look for them. Think about them. Consider them. And give God praise for them. In just a moment, Joey's going to come back up and he's going to lead us in the Lord's Supper. What a great opportunity for us to consider right now. Consider how Jesus took our uncleanness into himself so that we can have his holiness as a blessing from God. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we we thank you that you have blessed us with your word. We thank you that you have blessed us with this message from Haggai. We thank you that you have blessed us by sending your son into the world, into our uncleanness and filth so that you could make us holy, so that we could be in your presence, set apart people for a holy God, and we just praise you for that. We pray that you would help us to consider that. We pray that you would help us to think and meditate deeply on your good purpose. In Jesus' name, amen.